0: Welcome to the W-2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W-2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 Prison Break and get you on the path you were always meant to be on. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the W-2 Prison Break Show. So glad to have you tuned in another week. And today we're going to be learning about property management. A lot of us have rental properties, some of us are managing them ourselves. Others are doing it the right way with a property management company. And that's who I brought on today. I brought on Janet Fields, and she is the CEO and co-founder of Oak Trust Properties, operates out of Charleston, South Carolina. And we're going to talk about the importance of having a property manager and not just looking at your rental investment from a... Monthly cash flow standpoint, there's so much more to consider. And once you hear what she is going to share today, you're going to think differently about self managing your rental property and what your approach is. So stay tuned. This is going to be a great episode. Hey, Janet, welcome to the show. So glad to have you on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. We were supposed to record this about a week ago, but you had some issues with Hurricane Ian, if I'm saying it correctly, and we were chatting a little bit about that. So it sounds like you got plenty to do with the recovery from the storm, but everyone's okay.
1: Lots of cleanup. Everyone's okay. Doesn't seem like we have any catastrophic, definitely no catastrophic or major damage, but definitely a lot of cleanup.
0: Yeah, which is, you know, we'll get into this here in a bit because, you know, you're working with clients that have rental properties. We'll be talking about property management today. And, you know, I grew up in the Southeast. I grew up in Florida. I grew up in the Southeast. You know, the storms are always, the tropics are always, you know, something you have to deal with. But Mm -hmm. is this something that you've had to deal with in the past in your business? Oh,
1: yeah, definitely. This is an annual occurrence. If you don't have a hurricane or a tropical storm to prepare for, it's a really fantastic year. And it's a normal year if you do. So we just try to prepare as much as possible. Try to prepare everybody who you stay in contact and work with and hope for the best and just know how to hit the ground running.
0: Yeah. No, it's a good attitude. You really have zero control over what the storm's gonna do or where it's gonna go. You just control what you can control, as you said. All right, we'll touch on that a little bit more as we dive into, you know, property management, but Maybe just give the audience a little bit of a background on you, how you ultimately got started in your business and what you were doing prior to that, please.
1: Yeah, so I grew up just wanting to be a property manager. That's not true at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I actually wanted to be an artist as a child. My dad was a real estate agent. He flipped houses. We all helped him as a family on the, during the summers. You know, we we're just cheap child labor. We'd get pizza as a reward to go out to like Fun Park. So it was, it was a good time as I grew up. I went to school for graphic design. School wasn't really my thing. I wasn't fantastic at writing papers. (laughs) So I found out quickly that I needed to just go find a job. So I went into government contracting for about five years, and that was pretty cool. I really enjoyed the technical aspect of that. But I realized that it's a tough industry to be in. There's a lot of contracts that expire every two to three years, and I was in there for five years, and I could see everybody got real nervous. So I talked to my dad, somebody had just left and he was like, yeah, we can bring on one more person. No problem. This other person's leaving. So I hopped on the front desk, started answering phone, fielding applications and just kind of learning like the office structure and what goes on in there besides like, you know, I would hear about the negotiating contracts and him solving problems for people, but I never heard about what everybody did to support that. So I started hearing about that and I slowly just started picking up more stuff and listening how we function. And I was like, I was really focused on graphic design because I appreciated the product experience. Yeah. So I kind of translated that into property management. How can we make this a better experience? It was about the time that we were already shifting away from. It used to be like lock the doors, so you don't let the renters in. The renters, right? There's three folders, there's a blue folder, there's a green folder, and the red folder. There's a red folders for tenants. We don't want to hear from tenants. And I was like, wait a minute. These are the people that fund everything. Like, without these, this doesn't work. Like, why would we not want to speak to these people? Like, we literally need them to survive. Like, this needs to be a pleasurable experience for them because they have all these options. So, I really just started focusing on the experience for everyone and what I could do for that. So, that really fed me into the company. I started getting into like what makes the company special, what makes the company stick, like our core values and mission statements, like who we are, what's important to us. And I just kind of spun off from that. And with the Few acquisitions in there. There's just no getting out. I just kept getting deeper and deeper. And here I am today with a team of about ten people, of 550 properties. And I can't imagine doing anything else. Like I really enjoy all the problem solving and the interesting things that come up. And the world's really your oyster when you have your own business.
0: Totally, I love it. So 550 properties. I was going to ask you that. Okay, so what is the mix of that? Are they are you doing single family, multi, oh, yeah. or a combination?
1: We are a majority of single families. I would say 80, 90 percent, and the rest are very small multiplexes or in condos. So most of our people are local. A lot of them are intentional, or sorry, unintentional and accidental landlords, and that's a hard one for me to define. The unintentional is a new term for me, but accidental. So a lot of them didn't go into it being an investor. So they have a property they used to live in, and now they want to go buy another property, but they need to get this one the funding. So they like either need to sell it or rent. And a lot of times they're like, well, just rent it. So now they have a property that doesn't really cash flow and they're a little stressed out. And so we kind of walk them through that and help them get along. And sometimes when the market turns, they sell.
0: Got it. Okay. So you brought up, I know accident landlord, I'm in the real estate business, but unintentional. Is that what you just described when you... Actually,
1: unintentional is like when you inherit the property. Ah. like. You're just like given
0: a property. You didn't even know this was going to happen. Got it. Okay. And all right. So let's talk about that a little bit, if we could. So this happens all the time, unfortunately, because people are passing away, right? And they get they have their they have their houses. So the families are typically they don't want to deal with the property. Do a lot of your clients have they tried to sell and failed, or do they just know right from the jump that they want to rent and keep the property and just not deal with it?
1: Sometimes it's a sibling issue, and they're like, "One wants to test it, and one wants to sell." So they, you know, meet halfway, so to say. They rent for a while or whatnot. Sometimes they're just like, "I want to keep the home because it's an emotional attachment. I love this home. It's special. It's Granny's. We went there for Easter Sunday, like all the time." That's an interesting situation. So we're not looking about looking at it as an investment asset. We're looking at it as an emotional asset. So that is it's a different beast altogether yeah there's some really there's different ways to handle each property and there's different ways we have a couple different client types pretty complex
0: can you maybe i was going to get into that with you as well client types because i mean could someone come to you with one property is there a minimum i mean maybe talk about what the types are
1: yeah so we have a lot of properties actually majority of our owners have like one to five properties one to five single family homes a lot of them they'll be in the same area once we start getting into like two to three homes. At that point, they're buying intentional investment properties. They might have diy for a little bit and manage the property themselves. And they might be getting close to retirement age or they realize making trips to this property is actually putting me into a deficit because my time is worth more, more than this. And why am I going to do this handyman job that I can have somebody else do for 150 but it's taking my entire weekend, you know? So it's like a mind shift that we love working with the investors because they see the value in us. And we appreciate working with them because they trust sooner and we trust them. So it's a really great balance. The accidental owners and newer investors that are more emotionally attached to a property, it takes a lot longer to build the trust because they want to follow along and learn along the way Mm -hmm. and know what you're doing, which is, it's a really great learning experience for everybody, but it is a little bit of a slower process and it's harder to keep the residents happy and deliver everything as you're teaching along the way.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great explanation. All right. So I'll just, let's paint a scenario for you and you tell me what I would expect. So I've got, you know, two or three houses, you know, I'm, as you say, I'm DIYing it and I'm just over it. Like I don't want to spend the whole weekend fixing a problem that you could do for 150. That math works every time. So I bring the properties to you like, Hey, I just, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Right. How do you help me? And then what is my level of involvement after I'm all set up?
1: Your level of involvement could be, we bring you comps. We say, this is the rental range. You know, which end of this range do you want to start on? If not, let's just go with this. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, we say, okay, we have applications. We have this person that this looks great. Their application numbers are this, if you want to know. If not, we'll just move forward with it. And then once we have any maintenance issues, Anything over 250 we have a 250 reserve, and that's just to, like, keep it in there so we can get work orders started. If we can't reach you or, like, a water heater bus in the middle of the night, we need to send somebody out there on an emergency and have that, get the bill started. We would just say, hey, FYI, this has happened. We already send out so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. This will be done. So it's top line. It's almost like you have a personal assistant, <laughs> you know, on call for you, doing all these things 24-7. So we're answering the phone so you don't have to. We're being available and we're coordinating. We coordinate a lot. Anytime there's a maintenance thing, it's very high touch. It can be like anywhere from eight to 12 touches to get that completed because you're working with the vendors, you're working with the owners, and you're working with the property managers and the maintenance coordinators. So there's a lot of pieces tenants do. So that process can be a lot that we're doing. And if we're doing it well, you think that you're paying us for nothing. So. The little lease you're involved, the better off it is for you. And then the next step would be at renewal time. Hey, uh, the lease is almost off. We went to the property. We found that there is a little bit of wear and tear on the property or if there is a foundational crack in the property, we got these estimates, you know, which one are you comfortable with or this is what we recommend. We try to give options and tell you what we recommend and if it needs to be done now or if there's something we need to think about in the next two to three years or when this person moves out. So we guide you and give you viable options. And then, you know, do they want to renew? Do you want to renew? Like, we ask you first, and then we just move forward with the comps again. So it's just a cycle, it's an annual cycle. So in general, I would say 10 months of the year, you should be collecting a check and it should be pretty quiet.
0: Yeah, that sounds, pretty favorable to me as you know if you have a rental property so and you even you find the tenants you find the tenants and then yeah. you even you use your lease i would assume you have the, the oh, proper yeah. agreements and all that good stuff and then the tenant is basically getting in touch with you for anything they're paying you and then you're 100%. dealing with the funds right yep
1: yeah yeah we have a team of accountants that takes care of our bookkeeping to keep all that clean we have a maintenance coordinators. We keep really high contact with our vendors. So that's like an everyday relationship that we're keeping with them. So we know what their quality and skill is and we know what their professionalism is. And that's something that it's hard to manage as a small time property manager of any sort because you just don't have the volume to keep that relationship going.
0: Right, right. And I think a lot of, well, I'll ask you what are some of the, maybe what are some of the client profiles or mistakes that you're seeing? Like, what are they coming to you with? Oh, yeah. As as to why they need your help with all of these things. It, It could take up an entire, your entire life.
1: So, handyman Joe that you have, who is so cheap because he's not licensed and insured. He's so cheap and not licensed and insured. He's also not a great craftsman and he wings stuff a lot. So. He's a huge liability is what it comes down to. Yeah. He's not on time. He might get to it this week. He might get it next week. He'll tell you he gets to it tomorrow, but he won't. And then when he does a job, he already knows that you're going to pay him when he does the cheapest job possible. And that's what makes you happy. And he doesn't argue. So now we're patching bathtub cracks with caulk. We're letting like baseboards just go and rot. The on countertops were just ripping off and painting. And slowly the entire property value just drops because of all these tiny little things that just don't get fixed properly and now it looks cosmetically like junk and hopefully it's only cosmetic let's not get into the see what he's done with the wiring or the plumbing God forbid or no. <laughs> hand a wooden structure yeah so that's your biggest liability with DIY is you find that cheap handyman because he's cost effective because you're so highly focused on the numbers that you forget about your actual asset and that you're taking care of this asset
0: oh. That's so, I love that. That's so important because that's what it is. Like, I think, I, look, I've made this mistake too. I look at, like, okay, what's my cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. And versus actually protecting the asset, which is what matters over time. That's why you're in this business.
1: Oh, yeah. Because it can't perform if you're not investing in it. If you just turn a blind eye to it, it will begin to wither away, it will die.
0: Yeah. And that's how you, and by protecting the asset, I mean, that sounds like that's your number one goal for your clients. I mean, over time, you're going to be able to increase the rents. You can't do that if you have a deteriorating asset.
1: Exactly. And then it starts to be a bigger mental and financial hurdle to get that property back up to market value. So that slippery slope is ugly. Another big thing that we bring to the table that I think is overlooked a lot is we mediate. There's a lot of people involved, and there's a lot of unhappy people because they're paying large amounts of money. So the resident expects a lot. This week is rent week. Today is the fifth. My slack line and my email is blowing up. Everybody's upset because they're paying rent. Like all the problems are coming out of the woodwork. (laughs) So that's the other part of it is all the mediation, all the listening, all the, you know, just smoothing things out, delivering what we need to and bringing everybody to the same table and trying to get it to neutral so we can move forward together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me it's the fifth. I was trying to forget about that, but (laughs) no, it's important to bring up to the mediation piece because you said it in the beginning, you said you try to deliver, I might be misrepresenting your words here, deliver a great experience for the tenant. Yeah. What's your approach there? How do you go about doing that?
1: So what we have to do is we look at every step of the process from them reaching out to us and hearing back from us. How quickly does that take? How like which there's something called channel switching. If they call you, you should call them back. If they email you, you should email them back. They shouldn't be reaching out to you in the chat and saying, hey, email me. And then you call them. So those things, like if you do it twice, there's statistics behind it that say it's extremely frustrating and you pretty much have lost their trust in a relationship. So stuff like that. So how intuitive is the process? How frustrating is the process and how quickly can you serve them? So we're always trying to serve as quickly as possible. We're trying to tell people what's expected and what they have or haven't done yet for us to get to the next step. So constantly telling people what to expect and what's next makes people feel really comfortable. If they don't know what's next, they're clawing and like chomping at the bit trying to figure out, well, what am I supposed to do? I haven't heard anything. So just keeping people in the loop, even if it's just we're pushing the notifications. This is your next step. This is what to expect. We're going out to the property to check on it now. Your move ins next week, we'll be sending you this. Your keys will be ready now. So, just all those things a nice little welcome letter with all their utilities attached to it, all the people you need to contact, all those things add up.
0: Yeah. And you're also just, I mean, for everyone, unless has rental properties, like, you know, Janet's naming all these, she's talking about checklists too, right? Oh, so many. There's a bunch of stuff that has to be done on a continual basis. It's not just when they move in, it's the process. Yeah.
1: It's a huge process. You know, there's the monthly process, there's the move-in process, there's move-out, there's inspections, there's maintenance, there's keeping up with the clients. At the end of the year, we got to review all the financials. It's just process after process. And once you think you have one nailed down... Somebody updates it with some technology and now you have to like, you know, rise with the market.
0: Before I forget, because you're dropping some really good nuggets here, give the area that you work in now, you got these 550 properties, like talk about the coverage.
1: Yeah. So we're in the Charleston area, Charleston real market. We do Somerville, North Charleston, Mount Pleasant, Monk's Corner. So what we try to do with them, is I believe it's 45 minutes. I think it might be smaller. 35 minutes via Google Maps from our corporate office is what we try to do because a lot of single family homes, like that time is costly. So we try to, you know, keep it in that footprint. Yeah, we stay in neighborhoods. We noticed that a lot of people are looking to move into Somerville. So we're kind of focusing on Somerville. It's a huge growth area. You know, we're on the coast, so there's not really anywhere else to go. So we're moving down the interstate, but it's a really, it's a growing market. There's Raleigh and there's Charleston.
0: Okay. Both great markets. Are you seeing a lot of outside, you know, out of town yes. investors coming in? Yes,
1: yeah. we have big investors coming in, taking old hotels. We have investors building like the neighborhoods. We have investors doing small apartments. We have investors buying single family homes. It is a hot spot.
0: Yeah, for Price sure. Prices right. Have you seen it? I mean, I know things are kind of uncertain right now. I don't really pay attention to the news that much, but are you seeing any types of changes in your market?
1: Yeah, there is a slowdown, definitely a buying slowdown, but eventually some people they're gonna be forced to, you know, sell. Like it's you have to sell. Like people who are relocating do have to sell. And we don't really know what interest rates are gonna do and how that's gonna affect mortgages are we just going to keep climbing? Then if we keep climbing, this is the good spot. It's kind of like Warren Buffett says, when people are scared, be brave. When people are brave, be scared. So totally. you know, where are we at?
0: I don't know if we could predict <laughs> that. We wouldn't be on this podcast right now. I know. <laughs> so, well, do you provide properties for your, do you find properties for, for any of your clients or is it just all turnkey management?
1: As turnkey, I would love to find properties in the future for everybody. I think that is a definitely a hole in the market. So if anybody wants to fill that gap to be a real estate investor, like we need those. I'm not hearing about enough of them in Charleston.
0: Yeah. You would think that there would be because it is such a desirable place to live and it's near the coast. And you know, like mm-hmm. you said, it's a growing market and you have 550 properties that you're managing. I love the fact that you will do like onesies and twosies because I think a lot of New investors that have rental homes think that, well, hey, there aren't any companies out there that exist that will do this.
1: Oh, yeah, we do. We love it. It's our bread and butter and it's the beast we
0: know. Awesome. I've had difficulty finding that here. You know, everyone wants, well, you got to have 10, right? The math doesn't work out unless you have enough properties, but it sounds like you've definitely got that dialed in. And would you say that's because you're, you know, regionalized or you're in your 35 mile radius?
1: Yes, that definitely has a lot to do with it. The structure of our team helps. We do have remote employees who are international and domestic. We have a, boots on the ground. We try to keep property managers in desks because they're you know because of the cost, right? And yeah. We try to keep people who do the property evaluation. They're more of our field technicians and they support the property managers. They're like the eyes and the ears and the nose out there. So that definitely helps. That's hard to explain to some clients sometimes, but we would love to send the property managers out, but they would not want to support that price.
0: Do you ever sell properties for the owners or is that a service that you provide?
1: We have in the past. At the moment, we don't have a broker. I'm the property manager in charge. So South Carolina, we have a slightly lower license you can attain.
0: Got it. No, understood. What is the license that you have to have? Could you
1: Broker's license, so a sales license.
0: No, I meant as a property manager. Is there like oh, another license? So you know?
1: yeah, we have a property management license and then you have to have a property manager in charge, just like a broker in charge.
0: In charge. Okay. Got it. All right. You schooled me there, thank you. I'd never know what you need to be licensed for. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a big mistake that DIYs do is they don't even know what to license, so they end up getting their friend to do it and managing their property. And now they're in trouble.
0: Okay, that's a no no. So what are some yeah. of the other if you're a DIY you know landlord and you know one property or two properties, I mean what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see? What are some of the biggest things that you need to be aware of if you're gonna do this on your own Because it's inevitable, right? A lot of people are gonna do it until it gets to the point where like, I don't even want this house anymore. I need to sell it <laughs> Yes,
1: yeah. so you can do it yourself, I believe without a license to like eight or ten properties. I don't know the exact number, but somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. It's been a while since I took the class. That's fine. But when you say, hey, friend, I can't handle this anymore. Can you handle it? And your friend says, yes, now you're in trouble. Now you have an unlicensed property manager and that's not okay. And then where are you keeping the funds? I think the funds are a little bit different if the individual is doing it. But with us, we have to have a client trust account. And that's a little funny because the way the wording they use it, you need a trust, but banks don't actually have trust anymore. So you have to name the account the trust. And that's where both the client, the rents go, and then you have your operating, and you have your own security deposit account. So then we're having a triple tie out everything at the end of the month. We do it daily just to stay on top of things, and we have a CPA to help us do that. So we're always staying on top of our books, because it is the common nightmare for property management companies to fold up their books and leave all the keys on the desk and walk out into the night, mom and pop places. And if you're getting your rent a month late, that is a red flag, be that they're they don't have the funds. It's not unusual for companies, small companies to go under like that and just have to close up and leave and yeah. disappear in night.
0: That would be a frightening thing to experience. So I yeah. guess you're saying do your due diligence on your property management company.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are you thinking about moving into any other, you got your sweet spot, are you thinking about expanding, thinking about moving into different areas?
1: I am a dreamer. So yes, I'm always thinking about the next thing and it's like five years down the road always. Yeah. So I would like to follow my clients into the rest of the Southeast, uh, mostly like Tennessee and North Carolina, I think would be great places to start following clients. Those are great markets. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested and you have a little portfolio or you and your friends want to give us a call, we'd love to see what we can do for you.
0: Where would they go? Sorry to interrupt you, Janet. Tennessee is <laughs> a great place to live. Where would they go to learn more about you?
1: Yes. Oakshoffsproperties.com is a really great to get all of our information. You can also find us on LinkedIn, you can find us on Facebook, and we have all sorts of videos
0: posted in YouTube. We will definitely leave all of those links in the show notes in case you're Mm -hmm. listening to this while driving and you can't click, can't search, be safe. All right, so I love the fact that you're looking at expanding, you have a five-year plan, which is, you know, I think that's, as a business owner, that's something that's super important is to make sure that you're constantly looking out into the future, how long have you been doing that type of thing?
1: Yes. So that's a really good question. 2014, I believe, is around the time that I started getting business coaches and started getting really honed in and organized. So I started hiring coaches. I didn't really have like a strong mentor. I didn't really have like a great network. So I started finding, I was like, well, who can I buy? (laughs) You know, whose time can I buy? Like, I feel comfortable with that. So I started reaching out. I tried a few coaches. I found a great one, a local entrepreneur group and started meeting with that coach once a week for about a month or two. And then we bumped back to like every other week for like an hour. We'd sit down and just like pound through like all the things I had trouble with. And I would just kind of data dump and she would help organize my thoughts. And she started giving me these framework tools. And I was like, this is amazing. Now I have constraints around my thoughts. Now I can put my thoughts into an order. Now I can clearly see five years from now, and I know every decision I make either gets me closer or further away from that goal. So that was
0: really powerful. I'm so glad that I asked you that and that you brought up the coaching because I didn't even ask you about that. So you're buying somebody else's time. That was what yeah. you said, which I think a lot the of knowledge. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Like that coach or that mentor you had, whatever you spent for them, right? I have multiple coaches. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the price tag can seem very high, but it's like you're not. buying all the work that they already did for years and years and years, right?
1: Yes. They're compiled, honed in knowledge and skills. Yes. It's so invaluable.
0: Yeah. You're not buying the one hour per week or whatever it is. It's the years no. of knowledge that they have. I think a lot of folks who are, you know, anti-coaching, Look at it that way, like wow. Yeah,
1: that's, that's too hone too in on those numbers. Yeah, it's not the number for me. It's how bad do I want that product?
0: Yeah. Had you done that? Had you invested in coaching or mentoring prior to being in business?
1: I have never thought about that before, but now that you mention it, I think it's been a way we've been doing things in my family, and I didn't even realize it. Driver's license time. I about put my dad into a ditch. The road wasn't banked property and I was just going too fast in that fun little car. And I pulled over and he like scolded me. And after that, I got driving coach. And then tennis, he tried coaching me in tennis. That didn't work out great. So then I got a tennis coach. So yeah, I guess so. And I've had like, you know, boot camp coaches and triathlon, swimming coaching and stuff like that. So I have been buying people's time. I never really thought about it until this moment.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what the thing is, is we have coaches and mentors growing up our whole lives and then all of a sudden we get in, you know, we get out of school or whatever we did. It's like, oh, I'm good. I got it all figured out. I don't need anybody's help. But nothing could be further from the truth. You actually need more help because it gets more difficult.
1: It does. And that's what our financial advisors are. That's who our friends and like the skill sets that we need and industries that we need We go talk to. That's what we're doing. We're asking for help and coaching.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's nothing to be ashamed of because we all need help. That's how we operate in this world, right? Yep.
1: Be humble, be teachable.
0: Yeah, no, great. So I'm glad we went off on that little tangent there because it is important to discuss mentoring and coaching. I mean, even if you can just find a mentor, right? Somebody who's willing to give you their time because they want to help you. You'd be surprised how many people will do that.
1: So many people. They love it.
0: Yeah. I just got to ask. I love when people ask me about my business or how do I get started. I mean, I love giving the time back because I had the help.
1: I don't think people realize that how much we enjoy sharing. Like right now, me and you just talking about sharing, I try to tell people when they don't want to talk about it, they will have a question to ask and I have to encourage them. I say, you don't understand guys. This is like my sport. Like, let's just play. Come on, give it to me. What do you got? I enjoy it.
0: Okay. There it is. Folks ask Janet about, you know, how to get into property management. She wants to share it with you. So
1: it's a good time. It, <laughs> You'll never it, be bored
0: again. You know, it's a service that, you know, more and more people are getting into real estate, right? More mm-hmm. and more people, it's getting easier and easier with the internet and especially these big companies that are buying up properties, right? So having a company like you who takes all that time or gives all that time back to you is essentially what you're yeah. doing. It's huge. So you can go because, listen, nobody wants to be a landlord. I mean, your business is that's what you're doing, but you don't get into real estate buying and selling properties to manage properties. You get in it for the money and the cash flow and the freedom lifestyle. of time, which you're yeah. giving back once you start having to take those phone calls in the middle of the night.
1: Yeah. And trying to solve those people problems. If you haven't solved them over and over again, you're starting from scratch every time. And it's exhausting. We got the
0: volume to help. <laughs> well, I'm sure that we could spend the rest of the day talking about the stories that you've heard from the 550 properties that you manage. And everyone's got yes. a story, right? Everyone.
1: Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Someone
0: share. Yep. No, we don't need to. Again, it's a long time. I've heard a few of them myself. Janet, this has really been great. I'm glad that you came on. And mm-hmm. again, once everyone go to oaktrustproperties.com to learn more about... If you have properties in that market or soon to be potentially within the next five years, some expanding markets, go there. Any final thoughts that you might have or anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to share today?
1: I usually like to talk about, to hit on one of the weaknesses I think that landlords get themselves into trouble with is they want to know a little bit too much about the resident and then they fall in love with the resident. or they might count strikes against the resident because they know things and they're attaching it to something in their past, you know, and that's risky. So the property management company is like a liability shield. And the less you know about the detailed things, the better off you are. It's just like, you know, being your CEO or COO, you want to know about the big things. The little things are getting weeds, and it's a waste of your time. And it's a liability yeah.
0: I'm glad I asked you that question and that is uh, such an important topic to bring up. I've made this mistake for everyone listening. I've made this mistake. You can get attached, right? Emotionally mm-hmm. attached. And when push comes to shove, they're going to take care of their family first. Right? Yeah. And you as an investor, you still have people to feed. hold
1: back. Yep.
0: Yep. You still got people to feed. So you got to, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's important to stay detached and leave the emotion out of it. Otherwise it's going to cost you a lot of money.
1: Yeah. Don't take residence out to dinner. It's not a date. It's an application. Just look at those numbers.
0: Oh, wow. That's bad. No, don't do that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that happens more than you think.
0: Okay, good. Well, great final thought, Janet. I really appreciate you coming on. This is good stuff. I've learned a few things here that I'm going to take to my business. So just really grateful that you spent the time with us today. Really appreciate it.
1: Well, thanks for this time for me to talk my sport. I appreciate it people. well
0: yeah absolutely absolutely best of luck to you and everyone make it a great day all
1: right. take care
0: thank you for tuning in to another episode of the w2 prison break show don't forget you can watch all full episodes on our youtube channel definitely check that out and please subscribe go to www.w2prisonbreak.com to learn more If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W-2 prison break. Here's to busting you out.